Good evening. Good evening. This is Marcel Reed inviting you to TS Radio, and I'm inviting on board a new host for a program called Medical Slavery. That is Dr. David Horowitz. Moskowitz, I'm very sorry. And his guest will be Anna Lou, and she will be speaking to us about, and he will be speaking to us about dialysis. The name of this program is Medical Slavery. It is a program that talks about why many people are tied to never-ending medical intervention. It seems that the medical community is more committed to long-term illness than to health. Right now, I'd like to introduce you to Dr. David Moskowitz, who is a renowned physician. He has been practicing medicine for over 30 years, and some 30 years ago, he came up with a way to keep people with renal failure from having to go on to dialysis. Dr. Moskowitz, can you hear me? Dr. Moskowitz, can you hear me? I can. Hello? Oh, good, yes, good. I, I can I'd not like only hear you, but I can also quell with pride for being on your show. Well, from this point out, Dr. Moskowitz, we like to think of this as your show and me simply as someone who's hosting it on um, TS Radio in honor of the founder of this network, Marty Oakley. I understand you have additional guests. Mm-hmm. Alice Lowe is coming on soon, and then I, th- I have the very famous Reverend Wright, I believe is Jeremiah Wright, President Obama's pastor. No. Is that correct? <laughs> no, that is it's not correct. Right. This, is, <laughs> oh, this is a different I'm, right. This is Ronald Wright. But, oh, <laughs> but I'm sure he's uh, just uh, just as committed uh, to the community as uh, President Obama's long ago separated with Reverend Wright. Yes, but this is Ronald Wright. I thought you had sent over the information to you. I do have someone here from Houston now. Um, I believe it's Houston 210-887-7131. Would that be Ellis Lowe? I don't know. Let's see. Let's see. Okay. Alice. Alice, can you hear me? Alice, can you hear me? Hmm. She doesn't seem to be able to hear me. It could be a music problem. Can you hear me? Yes. That sounds like Alice. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Is this Alice Lowe? Yes. Oh, good, good. My name is Marcel Reed, and Dr. Moskowitz is on the line with us now. 
Okay. Alice, this has been one of my most successful podcasts ever. <laughs> if the submersible had only had this amount of contact, they'd be alive now. <laughs> okay. Uh, we seem to have. <laughs> Uh, we seem to have quite a few others on the call. I'm really surprised by that. So it seems like you've opened to a pretty good audience. Oh, that is amazing <laughs> because I don't think anybody heard about this. That's great. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Marty, as you know, was, has been doing this for a long time. She was very successful. And Coscape has been responsible for um, helping to keep this alive. And there have been a bunch of us. We've turned into a sorority of, uh, of Marty Oakley supporters, and, and we will keep doing the work because it was important work she was doing. And I was you on, were certainly I was on one show with her, and, and I loved her. She was a, a real awesome was the real truth seeker and and uh, got straight to the heart of the matter with her questions. Yes, yes, and she was always reaching out to others and never looking to help herself. So that is a rare trait in people. But now I'd like to hear about you know how you met Alice and and what the protocol has been and how long you've kept her off dialysis. Well, I can answer the the last question first. Five years. But, Alice, why don't you answer the first part? How did we ever get in touch? <laughs> that was in back in 2018 uh, when my doctor gave me the last warning. says, uh, pretty soon I was, he will put me on the dialysis machine. <laughs> but I just hate the idea. I have to go on dialysis. So I start doing the research. And I read a book that was written by one of Dr. Moskowitz's patients. That's why I got his email address from there. So I just, I think I just clicked your website. I didn't write anything on the email. And five minutes later, I got email from Dr. Moscow says, uh, what can I do for you? <laughs> so then I tell him, I says, uh, I don't want to go under the dialysis, so if he can help me, take me under his wing as his patient. Then after we talk a little bit, he think my condition was too bad. It's too late in stage. He refused to take me, but I, I'm stubborn. I'm not going to take a no for answer. So I beg him. I says, can you give me one month's trial, see if it works? Because I didn't try. You just tell me, said, no, I just don't want to take that. <laughs> so finally, we tried one month. Things turned out good. Remember when you, when you emailed me, you saw my first uh, lab Lab report, you say you nearly fell on the floor, broken your glasses. You don't believe. I couldn't believe it. You were the furthest along the patient that I had ever tried my protocol in. And the problem is 
the the later you try it, the dangerous, the more dangerous it gets, the riskier, because of potassium, and um, potassium stops your heart. So I didn't really want to kill you. The first rule in medicine is first do no harm, and I, I'd never had experience with anybody so close to dialysis before, but we were really careful that first week. And you got lab work after just a week or so. And and from the very beginning, the potassium was controlled. And so then we could go up on the dose of this blood pressure medicine, Quinepril. And at one point, or the long, you know, fairly quickly, you were taking six pills a day, which was uh, basically about six times as much as normal. And amazingly, um, it kept you off dialysis now for five years. Yes. <laughs> Back in, uh, I think it's August 2021, I almost, I had, because my kidneys have uh, low red blood cells, so I have to get a weekly EPO shot. The EPO shots caused me to have blood clots in my body. And on August 2021, the blood clots in my kidney. <laughs> so I have acute kidney failure. So I, w- I was going to the emergency, and they came me in the hospital for five days. Had two surgery and to get rid of that problem. Then... Uh, the doctor wouldn't sign a release paper until I choose a dialysis. <laughs> I want to go home so bad. So I said, okay, okay, just give me a homeo dialysis or whatever. So he signed a paper, I go home. I come home, I start getting better. I still not on the dialysis today. Uh, just said. It's a funny story. <laughs> so now in 2021, were we in touch? Or did you just figure that out on your own? Which one? Uh, after you had the blood clots and you came home and you had committed to hemodialysis, but then you got better. Um, I come were home we in touch? and I went to see my renal doctor the next day. And because my renal doctor knows from day one, because when he first started treating me, he just keeps sending me to the seminars, dialysis seminars. Right. I'm, right. I'm against that. So I went online to search. I said, oh, too painful. I'm not going through that. So I told my doctor, I said, if you want me to choose treatment one day, I will tell you I choose no treatment. I know I will die between two weeks to two months' time. <laughs> so he knows i against dialysis, so he don't push me anymore. That's why I can, you know, I can go outside, get Dr. Musk with his help. Otherwise, he wouldn't help me. He just want me to go to the dialysis. I said, no, I don't want to know dialysis. Well, we've, we've been extremely lucky uh, your GFR is is what now? I was eleven. 
Yeah, in the beginning, I have problems to buy the criminal field. Nobody want to sell me, you know, like I went to Walgreens, the manager only want to sell me 30 tablets. I need a six tablets a day. How I'm going to last for a month? <laughs> right. So, you know, this goes through a lot of trouble to get in those medicines. But and I think a guy is looking up. It still goes uh, on because there's a, a worldwide shortage of quinacryl now. <laughs> and I actually sent Alice my own supply, which will keep her going for about three more months. But I yes, have no I'm, idea I'm where taking it, that, I'm taking that pill now, <laughs> the one you just sent me. Good. But I don't know where we're going to get more, honestly. Um, and Why, if problem, we cannot get more, we just have to go plan two. <laughs> well, there's That's, another ACE inhibitor that might work. We'll have to try that, but I'd prefer not to have to. Yeah, because uh, my friend just called me this afternoon, the pharmacist friend. He says, yeah. if you want that, you know, I can... I can order some for you. Remember, we have problems to fill from Walgreens. They wouldn't give us four pills a day. They only wouldn't give us two pills a day. Two. But he'd order the four? He hasn't. He said because Medicare wouldn't pay for it. Uh, so that's, that's part of the problem, Marcel, is this protocol, even though I published it over 20 years ago, Remains yes. unknown, so insurance plans won't pay for it. They they never give enough because only, like Alice said, only 30 pills a month are authorized, or at most 60. But she was taking 180 pills a month, so massively but more quantity. I pay for myself. Medicare didn't give me that even one pill. They wouldn't give me. So how do you but get your quinapril? You pay for it out of pocket? Yeah. My pharmacist friend oh, helped me get it. How much does it cost? I don't know. He didn't charge me. Yeah, so if this is impossible. I mean, how can you keep the world off dialysis if if it's uh, if it's like prohibition and you can't get the, the curative drug? The medicine, yeah. Absolutely. Um, can you take a wild guess of what a month's worth of quinapril at six tablets a day would cost the average person? I Alice, do no you know? Idea. I don't know. I, can, I have to ask my friend later to find out. I can make because a I want to pay I mean, him. He he just insists. You know, he don't want me to pay him. So he just send me. When I need it. Well, for one thing, everybody loves Alice. Oh, well, I can see that now. I mean, I can hear it. You sound charming, Alice. She's just such a wonderful person. Everybody wants to help. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And who would want to help Alice? (laughs) But I'm just thinking about the, you know, the average person. And because we're trying to figure out how we can help the average person. We're not giving out medical advice. I think but. it's not cheap because one time I bought some uh, from uh, Brink, Brink's online. And I forgot how much I paid. That was that was five years ago. 
but everything said, so my, I told my friend, my friend says, hey, I can order much cheaper than you buy from them, you know, so that's why he helped me order. So I'm looking for a generic drug company, because it's a generic drug, um, that would make it for a penny a pill. So um, really? a month's worth. I mean, that's what I'm looking for. Because if they've got a billion adults taking four pills a day, um, you know, so 120 pills a month, uh, it's an incredible market. There's no other drug like it. And they can afford to discount the price because they'd more than make up for it in volume. And they'd be like super rich and they'd be doing super good for the world. So that's, you know, I, I throw that out as a, a business opportunity for any generic drug company. Well, I've just looked up prices and it says uh, Quinopril prices, coupons, copay, and patient's assistance. Um, but the cost for a Quinopril oral tablets, 20 milligrams, is about $21 for a supply of 30 tablets. And you're saying that a person needs to take 180 tablets a month if they're on the dosage that Alice was on. Well, is that correct? She needed to take 180. Um, a lot of people only need 120, but they also have to be the 40 milligram pills, not the 20s. Oh, see, boom. I don't. That's obvious. I know nothing about this, but I was just looking up so, the price of quinapril because I know for so many people, you know. Part of it is just how hopeless you become when you really become ill and you think that you're going to be tethered to a machine forever. I'm sure that you found that daunting, Alice. And then number two is forget the machines. It's so expensive. Oh, to stay off the machine is super expensive. And um, Medicare is not really helping the, the Part D you know, sooner or later you get in the donut hole, you have to pay for it out of pocket. I mean, it's it's easily 80 bucks. It's nice that insulin came down to 35, but Quinnipril mm-hmm. should be 35 or less. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I don't know the dosage just and all that. I was just taking a quick look to see that I have some idea of what it might cost a person. But it's very easy to say that if you're taking any any amount of quinapril, uh, 40 milligrams or whatever, it's going to run you easily a couple of hundred dollars a month. And a lot of people don't have a couple of hundred dollars a month. Absolutely. I mean, a lot of these new diabetes drugs like Ozempic and Chardians and Forsiga, which, by the way, are not as good as quinapril, are far more expensive, Um, you know, $700 a month. So we have a problem. We have a big problem in this country, getting people useful drugs at a price they can afford. Yeah. And that's not our only problem. No, it's not. What are the other problems? Well, the main problem is getting the fact that dialysis is preventable out to the public. That's problem number one. I've been working on it for at least 25 years. It's not 30. And um, this is the first sort of national podcast that I've uh, been privileged to have, and I thank you very much, Marcel. Well, you know, this is just a legacy of Marty. But 
what I'd like to talk about is not only, you know, how the illness affects you, but perhaps you can tell people because you have written that it is the silent killer. So many people don't know that they have kidney disease or renal failure. How can you um, help people diagnose that they aren't going to the doctor? And I contend that, you know, those... Um, those videos where you go back and forth to the doctor are not as helpful. I have people in my family, and they've missed all kinds of things from visual uh, from visual meetings. You know, they don't touch the doctor. He doesn't touch them. They order blood tests. Somebody comes to the house. They forget to give them this, that, or the other. I mean, is there any way at all that a person that suspects they have renal failure can find out about it? before it's too late? Um, there is. It's, it's not so impossible, but it is um, a whole lot harder than most other things. I mean, you get a rash, you see it on your skin, you go to the doctor. There is no equivalent for kidney disease. You don't feel anything. I mean, you can lose, like Alice. Alice, you had no sensation when the doctor told you you had to start dialysis, Right. Yeah, doctor normally they don't tell you. They just just treat you as time goes, then send you to the dialysis. <laughs> that's that's why, you know, in the beginning he just started sending me to the dialysis seminars. I said, well, why but, I have but, to be in those kind of meetings why every you have time? To be there? Right. right. That's but why I see I see people have all those those tubes on their arm and chest, everything uh, looks scary. I said, no, no, no. I told myself, I said, I I don't want to do that. I'd rather die. I wouldn't do that. But you didn't feel That's why I started reading a lot of books. I started looking for other way out. But I can't drag that long. That's God to help me. (laughs) You came across Terry Cooksey's book. He was my patient who wrote this gorgeous book in which I got a chapter and every patient I ever got came through Terry Cooksey's book. Unfortunately, he died of a stroke many years later, but his kidney function was really good at the time. Um, so, Would you like so to give us the, the name of the book and the author again, Dr. Moskowitz? It's Terry Cooksey, C-O-O-K, S-E-Y, and um, the book is How to Avoid Dialysis and Cure Kidney Disease. That's it. For How you to the book avoid in front of you. Dialysis and Cure Kidney Disease. Yes. Is it still in Yes, on Amazon. Okay. I get it from eBay. Bucks. Or eBay. <laughs> and oh, it's okay. my life. <laughs> and, and his widow, Sandy, is still getting royalty, so it will help her. But oh, what, Terry, yeah. what Terry also discovered, which I didn't find necessary, um, was he... Uh, used low fructose corn syrup. He completely changed 
um, his intake of that, and he swore that that helped too. But but all I do is just high-dose quinapril, and then I control potassium with fluorineph, and those are the only two drugs I use, and I don't change anybody's diet, and it seems to work just fine. Okay. Well, that's good to know. I'm sure most people didn't even know there was a way you could treat kidney disease outside of dialysis or, or some expensive cocktail. And, you know... Tell me about the people that I've seen that are on um, dialysis. I know it's a very strange thing to say, but they seem to lose all the oxygen in their skin because their skin changes color. They seem to be very lethargic. Oh, oh it does. So the day that you get dialyzed, you're um, you're hooked up to a, very, a high flux membrane. And the blood is pumping um, two or three hundred mils per minute through this filter. It through it, it sucks blood out of a large bore, like fourteen gauge needle, um, washes your blood through this filter, and then returns it through an equally large needle in your arm and AV fistula or in your chest like Alice was saying, internal jugular catheter. And um, just the fact that you've got all this high blood flow rate through the machine kind of wipes you out. And then um, you're getting three or four pounds of fluid removed at least at each session, and that leaves you your blood pressure goes from high beforehand to low afterwards. You feel kind of washed out and wiped out from uh, having uh, these volume changes in your body and then low blood pressure afterwards. And um, and then the next day you sort of recover and start to feel normal, except then you have to go to dialysis the next day you know, 40 an hour later. So everybody dialyzes Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. And the except that's hemo. And the exception is peritoneal dialysis where it's gentler um, and you you flood water into your stomach. And you can do that four times during the day or you can do it all at night and just walk around during the day with your... Um, you know, not dialyzing at all. But you have to do that every day of the week. If I had to do it, I'd do peritoneal probably. And Alice, weren't you saying that you were thinking of peritoneal too? Alice, she's still on. Yes, yes. You were going to do peritoneal. But the ideal is actually a transplant. And um, so here, here I have to mention that if my protocol were known, and were widely used, and 90% of dialysis were actually prevented, then the 100,000 Americans who go on dialysis every year would be cut down to 10,000. And what makes that number interesting is that there are already 25,000 cadaver kidneys being transplanted every year, cadaver from a dead person. And right now there's like a five-year waiting list for a cadaver kidney which is why they're promoting um, living donors 
you know, people who are alive are going to donate one of their two kidneys. But it's a hard sell, especially because you don't know if the other kidney is going to fail on you. And, you know, you have to match better and stuff like that. But um, if 90% of people didn't need a kidney and only 10,000 a year did, then the 25,000 that are being transplanted already would, um, you know, you could just give one to a patient who needed one like Alice. Alice, who knows when, but probably before the new year is going to need a kidney. And instead of having to wait five years and dying beforehand, uh, which is what typically happens, on dialysis, life expectancy is only two or three years, unfortunately. She could get a kidney and live the length of the kidney, which is normally about 10 years, and then get another kidney 10 years from now. So we really need to make the country dialysis-free and just, uh, go to transplant whenever possible. Absolutely. Well, I want to yeah, thank I you, have, Alice. Oh, come on, come on. I I have a church sister's husband went to China get kidney transplant, but four years later he still died. So I think you know it's depend on what kind of quality kidney you get it. <laughs> yeah. So right. I think and I use not- my my original kidney better. Absolutely. I think you're absolutely right. There is no substitute for your own kidneys. And we should fight to to keep our own kidneys for as long as possible, like you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I a, lot of, you. a lot of time people just go in dialysis too early. They die. Like my church friend's husband just when one year and died. I hear a lot of people just die on the dialysis machine. That's why from the beginning I refused to do dialysis. You know, I try to use my whatever my kidney left, I try to preserve. <laughs> yes. Well, Alice, we're we're gonna keep you on. We're about to have two kidney warriors come on the uh the show. And that's for the second part, because I call dialysis medical slavery, which is a fairly inflammatory thing to say. And um, oh. I want I to see if the two new people will back me up on that. So that will be uh, the Reverend Ronald Wright, and he will be <laughs> joining you from from Dallas. So let me bring him on and see, can you hear me? Can you hear me, Reverend Wright? Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. So, Alice, this is Reverend Wright and Dr. Moskowitz. Um, and he Wright. is out of, out of Dallas, Texas. And the next person I'm going to bring on is Arlene Mullins. I believe everyone knows each other except uh, you, Alice. So just a moment, and I'll bring Arlene on. Okay, thank you. Okay. Hi, Arlene. Hi, Michelle. Okay. So, Dr. Moskowitz are on and Reverend Wright are on, Alice is on, and you're on. So I'm sure it's going to be a lively discussion. So um, so I expect Arlene and Reverend Wright to, um, to, to tell us about some of the latest 
uh, class action lawsuits that they're engaged in. I just want to say why I think dialysis is medical slavery. It's clear that um, I went to Medicare, who was single payer for dialysis, and they had no interest stopping it because it would have meant loss of 7% of their budget, and no bureaucrat wants to cut 7% of their budget. It's not Let their money. It's not their lives. Let me ask um, you something, Doctor. Do you, let me ask you something, Doctor. Do you think that dialysis was cre- created as a genocidal attack? It has that effect, but I think there are a lot of things that are genocidal. I think um, I think the military is a genocidal and well, it is. It's, well, it's always been in the military, but this is medical we're discussing, and the reason why they say it, and I've been listening to you talk about the kidneys and things of that nature, why is that disparity on how certain people are being treated when they do get the kidneys, regardless if the kidneys work or not? A majority of the people have not even been given the opportunity to get a kidney. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There's so few given, so many people. There are half a million people who want a kidney, and there are only, you know, 25,000 a year who get done. And so oh, that's only 5%. It's a, you know, it's can I, a drop in the bucket. Can I cut in here? Go ahead. I, I, the, the there goes my podcast. Arlene's in. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> no, but to, to the point where the transplants, the, even the clinics have the, um, the ability to say non-compliant with no proof. That's enough to deny a kidney, period. And as far as medical slavery, I it is medical slavery because each patient for for profit is it, it pays the doctors a hundred thousand per head for each patient to go into business together. It's not about health care anymore. And let me ask you something, Arlene. If I was making if I was making the money that nephrologists were making to, to, to do surgery and continue, why would I want you to have a kidney? Well, absolutely. That's what I'm saying. And the thing is is they can stop you by saying you're noncompliant. And it happens all the time. There's kidneys, there's kidneys that go to waste. Dr. Moskowitz, you know that just as well as I do. Right. You know, uh, speaking of medical slavery, slaves used to be the most profitable industry, even more so than cotton. I think the slaves sold for $1,000 at auction. And I think uh, it's clear that dialysis patients are the most lucrative patients in healthcare. You, you mentioned 100 grand a year for the two or three years that they're alive. Absolutely the, the mainstay, the backbone of healthcare is dialysis in every country. But why is every country, why is every country outliving America and America is trying to get more uh, dialysis trainees and doctors, but more people in other countries outlive us by years? Why well, is that, Well, Anthony, um, we do have a terrible life expectancy. It's um, pretty clear that we don't pay any attention to public health. 
um, the the COVID epidemic was a disaster in in terms of scientific understanding and public health approach. Um, but and and we do horribly compared to we're the worst uh, in terms of industrial nations. Right. But but I've talked to um, to the World Health Organization and the International Society of Nephrology. And rather than prevent dialysis in the developing world like Africa, they just want to put dialysis units there. So they're seeing this epidemic of dialysis, which occurs in the Pacific Islands, among people of West African descent, um, and among Hispanics in South America and Central America. They see that as a lucrative business opportunity and, and, you know, it's a, essentially a $200 billion a year industry growing at 7% per year. Yeah, like I said, this is a genocide attack because the, uh, the COVID that we went through was created and in, in, involved in this country. Would you say dialysis was done the same way? Because uh, I've heard some people say, well, it depends if you're overweight, you, you, you can get to be dialysis. Back in the day, women were they were big and lived forever. So while all of a sudden now, uh, everybody is getting dialysis, getting diabetic. Is it? Is it? Is, I'm just. Don't, I'm not believe. I'm believing this is just a genocidal attack, and and it's working. And and I want to ask you one more question: Is the Vita and dialysis under the United States Medical Board? Is the Vita what? Sorry. Are they under the United States Medical Board? Uh, what do you mean by the U.S. Medical Board? Well, well, I, I'm saying that because is there a medical board that is in charge of every medical doctors or whatever that's going on in this country? For instance, down here in Texas, we have a Texas Medical Board. And when oh, we yeah, got issues medically, then we, we go to them and discuss it. So does this country have a medical board? And if so... Why is uh, DeVita doing the things that they're doing? And I'm sure several people have complained about them, and they've done absolutely nothing. As a matter of fact, when we talked to them two years ago, when I called Watson, they said, well, oh, we don't know anything about that. We never heard anything about that. And I know it's got to be not true. Well, so um, so you're raising issues that maybe Arlene can speak to better than me. Well, me and Arlene, in every in every state, the medical board does uh, regulate the behavior of doctors. One thing, though, that protects doctors is if they adhere to the community standard of practice, they're essentially immune from malpractice. So as long as everybody's killing people, as long as you do the same as everybody else on dialysis, um, you're not going to get sued for it. So in our country, we don't care about outcomes. We don't improve outcomes. There is no innovation. There is just preservation of the status quo, the lucrative, I should say, status quo. And the reason that it's preserved is because of this community standard of of practice defense that is, you know, it's not like you can get sued for failing to prevent dialysis. You can only get sued. In fact, you're more likely to get sued. I keep getting fired 
because every every place I work at as a primary care doc, I want them to, to prevent the illnesses on a population health basis, and they wind up firing me every year. But if I just, you know, let people go on dialysis and let the system make its its riches that way, I'd still have a job. Well, it's a why very did... go ahead, stupid go system. No, it's a and stupid so, system. And, and so as we, as, as the members of the Dallas Advocate Association, who can we go to nationally to file this complaint uh, to say that this has been going on in case y'all never knew this or, uh, or nobody's ever contacted you? We have an organization with members in every part of the United States that has a complaint about their being treated on dialysis. Well, you, you can't go to health care. You've got to go to the court of public opinion because I have never yet met a patient, a person of the public, who wants to go on dialysis. And, and uh, whereas well, everybody in health care... Why are they forced to go? Why are they forced to go? There is no enforcement. There is no enforcement. I went to the Department of Justice. I went to the FBI. I complained. And they said, if, if because the VA was the first one to fire me in 1998. And they said, in the un- unlikely event we would be brought into this case, we would be defending the VA against you not defending the veterans who are getting killed by the veterans. And so so the people are diabetic, and they go to see a nephrologist, and he say, you need to go to dialysis. You can say, no, I don't want to go to dialysis. Well, well, you're dying, but what you have to do is go to my website, genomed.com. That's the only way you're going to stay off. And I think there ought to be a class action lawsuit against Medicare, who's single-payer for dialysis and has ignored, you know, my 2002 paper, which I presented to them in October so, of 2004. So Medicare refused to believe? For every year after. They refused to believe that you were telling them about what was going on in dialysis? Medicare refused to believe that? They, paid no, they said Sean Tunis, who is the medical director of CMS, and Sandy Foote, his assistant, said, well, what do nephrologists think? And I said, well, exactly what you'd expect. They don't like it. And they said, well, if they don't like it, we're not going to do a thing about it either. And I have friends. I I have classmates at the NIH. Um, there's a kidney institute at the National Institutes of Health, and and they refuse to invite me to the NIH to explain my paper. They act like they don't exist, my paper, but they're published. And and yet they continue to spend taxpayers' money trying to find a solution. It's all make work. There's a kidney X prize where they're trying to find better ways to dialyze people instead of preventing it in the first place. So do you think and, and collectively is going along with this? Do you think if we spread this out throughout the United States that we'll be in a much better position to change things than the way things are going right now? 
think it ought to go to the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation. I think they need to hear that home well, hemodialysis is not the answer to saving costs. Preventing dialysis is the only way to save costs. Give people their full lifespan, let them keep working, and prevent 90% of dialysis. And forget this home hemodialysis tax that, uh, that's been taken really for the past few years. Nobody in their right mind would do home hemodialysis. If in-center hemodialysis is accompanied by, by code pretty much every week, every day you go to dialysis, somebody can die in the unit, and you watch it from your chair, then how are you going to make it in home hemodialysis where it's your wife who's sticking the needles in and who's supposed to monitor how the machine is going? It's nonsense to try to push people into home hemodialysis. Okay, Arlene. Arlene, do you have a comment? Hmm. I'm so not let hearing me just, Arlene. Let me just, okay. I've never heard Arlene to be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Something awfully strange is going on. Play. <laughs> She's definitely well, muted her made. phone. If you said that got away with it, she's definitely <laughs> muted her phone. <laughs> right, right, no, no, right, no. Right. I'm, I'm, I don't even see her on here. So that's what's – I think her call dropped. But I just wanted to make this notice. I remember uh, – yeah, it says her call is dropped. I remember being in D.C. when Arlene had first uh, launched this campaign and all of a sudden, we started to see uh, buses wrapped here in the city with DeVita written on the outside of the buses. They were white buses, and they were emblazoned with DeVita. And um, mm. the buses said, DeVita at home. And I, that just startled me because, you know, thank God no one in my family is on dialysis. So I was really not aware of it. It was only Arlene that made me aware of it. But I, I was surprised to see the buses. It's like the minute that this, that her efforts started to pay off, um, immediately you started to see uh, buses show up. And I know that every year she's coming to the summit. And um, we actually started to get pushback from some of the uh, lobbyists because they don't want this uh, in D.C. They really don't want this spoken about. They really don't, and even they start doing a little commercials because they didn't. They, I, I noticed they see, I see commercials. I said, well, we never saw them before, but after we had a certain situation in Philadelphia that I told you about and one in Atlanta, things start changing. Now all of a sudden the media's up advertising like they're really doing something. But the sad part about this mural is that people have lost loved ones, and for them to know and realize that their family probably died because they were being experimented with is devastating. Well, I'll tell you, 20 million people have died because my work has been ignored since 2002. 20 million. Oh my God. That's, that's bigger than the Holocaust. 20 million. Mostly people of color. I just, and I was going to ask you, if we broke that down, the majority would be minority people. 
Absolutely. So Pacific Islanders, blacks, Hispanics, whites too. Yes. You, was, so was this thing created, like I keep saying, was this created just as a genocidal attack because we haven't had any wars in generations and we are heavily populated and they've come up with all kind of mess, the coronavirus and all of these things all of a sudden start popping up out of nowhere. And they had some people taking three and four shots, and they were still getting the virus, just like the flu shots. Only somebody I know that's got the flu is the people that had the shots. No, there's a lot of greed and very little science going on in public health these days. It's embarrassing how um, it's, it's really embarrassing how, how terrible the state of public health in the U.S. is. And and for Europe and Europe as well. I mean, it's um, and, and what's funny is that the political parties have split along the the vaccine, and you know nobody goes after a highly mutable virus with a vaccine. Uh, there is no HIV vaccine, although Fauci tried for forty years to make one because okay. it okay. mutates every division. And the coronavirus mutates, too. And that's why there are these new strains. You get vaccinated against the old strains, and it doesn't protect you against the new strains. And so the whole idea of vaccination against a highly mutable virus is crazy, especially when you've got, you know, safe, reasonable treatments like Paxlovid. I discovered that quercetin works. Um, and, and so, you know, I use quercetin, Paxlovid, and an anti, a general antibiotic if somebody has uh, yellow or green phlegm, because there, there's a lot of super infection with these latest uh, viral strains from COVID with just regular bacteria like Haemophilus influenza. But now we want to just, uh, because I know you have a whole series of uh, medical um issues that you're going to discuss, Dr. Motzkowitz, not just preventing kidney disease and, and um, dialysis, but predicting cancer before it happens and better treatment for cancer patients with metastatic disease, um, finding dementia genes, uh, finding the root cause of most genes, genom- uh, gen- genomics and primary care, PCPs, and your whole genomic sequence, reimagining drug discovery quicker, safer, cheaper. Um, I just think that there is a whole field of medicine out here that you can speak about and you have the credentials to speak about these medical cures. I mean, your CV is amazing. Anybody that reads it would be shocked. I mean, not only did you go to Harvard, MIT, and Oxford, but you were cum laude in many of your chemistry classes. Um, It is amazing what you have accomplished. But once again, it doesn't matter what you accomplished. If you tell the truth that no one wants to hear, they do everything to stop you, and the entire purpose of this is to talk about whistleblowing. This is just another form of whistleblowing. Here it is, you have the cure, but the cure will interfere with people's profit. 
And so, Mary, let me ask you a question. Do you think that's the reason why the media didn't show up at our event in Washington? Do you think we'll be able to get the media involved so that people around the world can know what is going on and what we're exposing and fighting? Well, you know, um, Reverend, because I've worked with a lot of uh, whistleblowers across the spectrum, this is generally how it worked with whistleblowers. Um, you, You have to try really, really, really hard to get the truth out, and then you have to try different ways to get it out. I think that what Dr. Moskowitz is talking about and what Arlene and you and others are working for, I was startled when I found out how bad it was. Um, I think it is untenable that this many people have passed from something that could have been preventable. So perhaps the numbers are not as high as Dr. Moskowitz hoped they would be. Suppose it's only 20% of the people um, that didn't have to go on to dialysis and, and could have perhaps avoided it and lived a normal lifespan. You're still talking about millions of people. We're still talking about millions of people. Yes. And, and it sounded to me like Doc would be the one that needs to be on these, these medical boards to monitor and make sure things like this is not happening to Americans in this country. Yes. But what you can do is that you can go to his website, um, and he's offering you some amazing things. So his website is genomed, G-E-N-O-M-E-D, dot com. It's a very simple website to get to. And he's offered to tell people what the, the normal range is for kidneys, uh, that are not failing. So when you go to your doctor and he says it to you, you'll know what he's saying. Sometimes they don't translate into English. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know, and, and it's very true. Every industry has its own language, and you know, pardon me, I call it. You know, it's like throwing gang signs. Right. So. Um, <laughs> Uh, he's offered to speak to us in accessible English so that we know what's happening with this because very often um, they will wrap you up in the double language and you don't know what they're saying and they look in your eyes and you don't know what they're saying but you're intimidated enough that you won't ask but you know the majority of my older people in there they want to hold on and not understand what they're going through, what they're going through. And they Absolutely. know that they've been mistreated, but they've heard you don't want to complain because they'll put you on their list and you'll end up. But I think Dr. Moskowitz would be better to answer this because this is just me ruminating. Um, but could you address that? Well, the elderly are the fastest growing a segment of the population on dialysis, and they have been for the past 35 years. Because just with age, your kidneys fail. They fail about 1% per year. So by the time you're 80, um, you know, you've, you've only got 20 or 30% kidney function left. Wow. So, so it just is going to happen with age. 
and um, the tr- you know the trick is to um, to get in touch with me before before you get to before you lose too much of your kidneys, you know, before you're in the position that Alice was in five years ago. But the good news is that this protocol that I've been using for a long time even works in what's called stage five kidney disease, you know, under 15% kidney function. So that's very reassuring. Now, of course, we have to get Quinepril because it's uh, in a worldwide shortage. But I just do want to say for my audience that I hope you do stay tuned for future uh, podcasts. We're going to meet the third Thursday of every month for the next uh, few months. And I'd like to describe the healthcare revolution for you. Uh, I consider myself the George Washington Moskowitz of the revolution. Okay. Look forward to having you along in my army. Well, I don't mind being a part of it. You can I see thank by you Lafayette, for Reverend Wright. Yeah, thank you for what you do. And me and Arlene, my, my, my co-executive director, we're going to do what we can do to expose and stop what is going on just like you are. I would love to work with you any way I could. Well, this seems like a successful first launch. I can't believe how many people are holding and listening on the phone. Thank you all. This could have been a complicated and um, a complicated and unfortunate um, discussion that just left us with a lot of questions, no answers, and very little hope. That didn't happen. That's great. So no matter what we talk about in upcoming segments, we'd like to leave you on a note with hope. We really hope that when you listen, instead of being depressed and feeling helpless and hopeless, that you may still be concerned, but that you don't feel helpless. And we'll do everything that we can to tell you that there is always hope. With that, we invite you next. The next, the the next session will be on will be in July. We'll give you notice in advance. Uh, once again, I encourage you to go to Dr. Moskowitz's um, website, which is G-E-N-O-M-E-D dot com. You can leave a message for him there, and he will get back to you as quickly as possible. All right. Okay. Thank, Thank you, you so very much. much. All right. Thank you for having okay. me. Okay. Me and Arlene, I'm on all righty. God bless you both. Okay. God bless you too. Take care. Thank you for listening to TS Radio. And this was the premiere of Dr. Moskowitz's Medical Slavery. We look forward to you listening to other programs on our network. Thank you very much. Good evening. <laughs>